0: Second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming March 1st through 5th, 2017, to San Francisco, featuring 25 shows in five days and 50 comedians from across the entire U.S. From Washington and Portland to Los Angeles, New York to Indiana, Tennessee to Pennsylvania, these comics. Will join San Francisco's best underground comedians for five days of comedy at Mutiny Radio. All shows will be live streaming and available after via podcast at www.mutinyradio.fm. But see them live in our intimate 30 seat performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Mission, March 1st through 5th. Tickets available on our website, www.mutinyradio.fm now. Brought to you by our generous festival sponsors, Alta California Botanicals, Destiny's Mom, what a tomato produce company, the law offices of John P. Strauss the Third, Ociento, FrufruHot.com, Jankytown.org, Brooke Heineken, fervor, Fervor, and Trina Roderick. The
1: life is life.
2: Asiento. This locally-owned Mission Neighborhood Bar and Restaurant is excited to be a sponsor for the festival. We hope you'll join us any night of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival for Happy Hour Pricing all night long. Just mention that you are an audience member for Happy Hour Pricing March 1st through the 5th at Asiento. Our address is 2730 21st Street at Bryant Street, just a half a block away from Mutiny Radio. Asiento has a warm, friendly neighborhood vibe that's perfect for an after work drink or for a night out. A Featuring a comfortable bar and extensive tapas menu, I this is the perfect place for groups that want to get together for drinks and food. Join us at Asiento.
0: I want it more. Whoa there. What a tomato! Where did you find such a nice tomato? What a tomato? I know, I just said that. Where'd you get that fine heirloom? What a tomato. Look man, this isn't a come on, just tell me where you got that beautiful tomato. What a tomato.
2: 2055 Jarrett Avenue.
3: Hope your legs are looking sexy because we're going to charm your pants off. Come to the Charm Offensive Comedy Show at Punchline San Francisco. It's a night of great jokes, magnetic personalities, featuring the Bay Area's most awarded comedians plus national headliners. You'll laugh. You'll swoon. And when you regain your composure, you'll swipe right. Tuesday, March 7th. Doors at 7, show at 730 at 444 Battery Street in San Francisco's Financial District. Brought to you by Paco Romaine and Destiny's Moms Comedy. Our last show sold out, so get your tickets now at punchlinecomedyclub.com. Charm Offensive at Punchline Comedy, San Francisco. Tuesday, March 7th. See you there, sexy.
2: On a black day Disappeared beneath the walls Did she open up her veins For a lady of the sorrows Did they snuff out her breath Like a final cigarette It's hard to guess When there's nothing left It's hard to guess When there's nothing left How when I was twenty the squad to London town. I would listen to us sing like the sky was falling down. Yeah, but though we never met from an old cassette I learned to say a path straight
3: to Women's Magazine. It is Friday, March 24th. This is Global Val here. Really happy to be here uh, as part of Uh, Our series, uh, the series I'm putting on together, which is for Women's History, Herstory Month. So I'm going to be talking to um, an artist, a fine artist today, a dancer, who's going to be telling us about the life and the legacy of the revolutionary feminist dancer of the early part of the 20th century, Isadora Duncan. So please stay tuned. I'm going to play a little more music for you from a crew called Hazy Loper. Welcome again to Women's Magazine with Global Val here at MutinyRadio.fm in the Mission District of San Francisco, my hometown. And uh, we're continuing, this is March, it's March 24th, 2017, and we're continuing with our month of women's history, it's Women's, National Women's History Month, we'll call it Her Stories Month. Um, And we're continuing today the conversation about Isadora Duncan who is widely credited as being the mother of modern dance. Duncan was born in San Francisco in 1877, but this California native daughter traveled and performed throughout the world and was allotted as one of the most influential artists of her time. But beyond dancing, Isadora Duncan was a writer, a political activist, and a revolutionary feminist who changed the way that women were viewed in the world. So I'm so happy because joining us today to tell us about the life and the legacy of this fascinating woman is Lois Flood. And Lois Flood has been performing the exquisite dances of Isadora Duncan for over 25 years. Her interpretations are widely recognized for their dynamic, expressive, and dramatic qualities. She's also acknowledged for her sensitive and profound musicality as she creates visual music through movement. Lois is a third generation Duncan dancer, which she'll tell us about, who has performed and taught master classes in New York City, Paris, and San Francisco. Lois is well known throughout Northern California, where she performs lecture and dance programs at theaters, museums, and colleges, and has an upcoming show at the Corette Auditorium in San Francisco at the end of April, April thirtieth. Lois grew up in New York City, where she initially studied ballet. But she has spent many years teaching the Duncan dance to all ages, and she is also the founder of Diablo Dance Theater. She is with us today to talk about talk to us about the life and the legacy of Isadora Duncan. So, Lois Flood, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Valerie. That was uh, just a wonderful introduction, and and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share the legacy of Isadora Duncan, as you mentioned, a California native daughter and one of the most famous people of the early 20th century. She literally changed the way the world viewed women in art. She changed the Russian ballet. She did so many things that really, really helped women and brought a new view and a new impetus to dance, to culture. And the the most amazing thing is she was raised in Oakland. She was born in San Francisco and raised in Oakland and literally raised in poverty. Her father abandoned the family when she was a baby. And at that time, there were no social services. The mother didn't have Social Security or welfare or anything like that. So the mother had to rely on her skills as a piano piano teacher, and she did some crocheting. And she was left with four children, and Isadora was the youngest. So the family survived on very, very little. But the benefit that Isadora had was that her mother was very cultured. Her mother could play the piano. Her mother was well-read and educated. So her mother imparted... Um, this wonderful music, played Chopin and Schubert and Gluck, and so the children grew up in a rich environment of music. Their their mother read Shakespeare, Walt Whitman, so it it was kind of a, a rich life in many ways. But still, they were very very poor, um, and they moved often because they couldn't pay the rent. But it's still, it's still she's still developed into this amazing artist of the world. She's often called, she's a living symbol of revolt, of women's emancipation. And that's, the Oakland area was a big influence on Isadora. When she was growing up, uh, the area was rural. And so uh, little Isadora would go outside and play in nature, and she was really, this influenced her dance, being so close to nature. She uh, started a little school for children, and she taught the neighborhood children dancing. And uh, so the Oakland area was just, in many ways, a wonderful place to grow up, Um, and her Thing that's very remarkable about her, about Isadora, was that she dropped out of school when she was twelve years old, <laughs> and that's you know amazing. But she did go to the library, the Oakland Main Library, and spent lots of time there. And the head librarian, and poet, California's first poet, Ina Coulbraith, was her mentor, and Ina would give Isadora books to read. And so Isadora was at the library often, and brought the books home, and read almost everything that Ina Kulberth gave her. And this was, Ina was a, a major influence on Isadora. So these, this is sort of some of the background of how she became Isadora. She, she rejected, she did take some ballet classes as a, as a young girl. And I think it was possibly her third ballet class. She came home and she told her mother, she said, I I, I don't really want to wear ballet slippers. I don't like corsets. And so she just never went back to ballet. And she started dancing barefoot or with little sandals. And uh, her mother had these pretty curtains of lace and satin. And she used this lace and satin curtains and made herself... Uh, a costume. Um, at that time, it was the, um, the Victorian period where uh, Greek ideals were very popular. And, of course, everyone was influenced by, this, by the times as we are today. So Isadora was influenced by Greek ideals and Greek culture because it was what she saw around her. So this is one of the things, these, the, the Greek ideals, Greek art, Greek sculpture was one of the things that she used to inspire her movement. So she used nature. She used what was popular, Greek art, Greek sculpture, Greek ideals. She studied the forms, and she went to museums and used the forms in her dance. The other thing that made Isadora absolutely fantastically famous was she was the first to dance to classical music. Of course, the ballet used classical music, but the music at that time was written for the ballet, such as the Nutcracker, or Swan Lake, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, Swan Lake. Music was written for the ballet. Isadora came along and said, "Oh." Gee, I love that Chopin waltz. I think I'll dance to it. And at that time, that was scandalous. Nobody danced to Chopin, Schubert, Gluck. So these are the things that made her unique and caused her to stand out. But the biggest thing is Dora left us, besides dancing this natural, beautiful way, besides using classical music, She was the first, imagine, in 1902, to come up with the idea and say, gee, I I feel like movement starts at the solar plexus. Mm. You feel the movement first in your soul, in your solar plexus, and you move from your center. Now, I was a ballet teacher, so I can describe the difference between what Isadora invented in 1902 And what the ballet training is, the ballet training, for the most part, is your back is straight, for the most part, and the movement starts in your lower back. And your arms and legs move independently of your solar plexus. So, can you imagine this woman coming out with no ballet slippers, no corset, (laughs) uh, a, a costume that looks like a Greek tunic, and dancing to Schubert and Chopin, and expressing nature. Oh my God, this was like very unusual. And so, this these are the elements that really are the foundation of her dance. But getting back to her childhood, so she was raised in Oakland, and she stayed in Oakland, um, and traveled and 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 had small programs and traveled to Northern California and Southern California a little bit. And then the family, she realized that she needed to leave California. So when she was roughly 18 years old, she first went to Chicago and stayed in Chicago for about a year and then moved on to New York and um, was in a company, um, like a small office, Broadway company, where she did a little bit of classical dance. And then the family moved to England, and that's where her career really started. She, she, she took her entire family, they followed her, and they all moved to England. And you can imagine how they got to England, because they were very, very poor. They went on a cattle car boat,
3: ship. Wow.
4: <laughs> and it was pretty rough.
3: I imagine so.
4: So so then she. That's that's basically um, the background of Isadora. I mean, so much more to say. So but, um,
3: so just I uh, wanted to kind of mention you know a point that you just made was you know well she went to. To England and her family followed her, and obviously it's her family, and so you know it makes sense that they might want to be with her. But I think one of the things about Isadora is that she had this kind of charisma that had people attracted to her um, wherever she went and whatever she did. Can you talk a little bit more about that that magnetism um, of Isadora Duncan.
4: Well, she, she came from a family where the, the entire family was involved with Isadora. As children, they, they put on plays. Her brother was a great influence. Uh, he helped her. He, he, he made drawings. They would go to museums and he would make drawings. And, and she would use the drawings as her inspiration. But um, she, she knew what she wanted. And she went for it. And I I think the most remarkable thing about her is that she was raised in abject poverty. She had nothing. She didn't have a family uh, to pay for dance lessons. She just went out and she really knew what she wanted. But the other thing that's important is her dance did evolve as she went to Europe and she made friends with the great poets and artists and musicians and composers, she was exposed to a whole world of great artists. And so these people definitely influenced her. And wherever she went, you know, she she, she was in a company in New York, the, the Daily Company, and she knew what she wanted to dance. She wanted to dance from her solar plexus. She wanted to express nature. Here is, is a little quote by uh, Nijinsky. Isidore dared to give freedom to movement. Extended, She extended the boundaries within which the artist could move. She abolished the frontiers that had been sanctioned by the custom, the the traditional ballet. She opened doors. Fokine, the great Fokine, followed her step, footsteps before before her the imagination for dance was was frozen. It was frozen in the ballet form. And so when she came along and she did have technique and she she walked on stage and she presented this this unusual movement based on curvier linear line, based on nature, based on movement from the solar plexus and great expression that's the element that isadora put in her dance it wasn't just let's see how high i can get on half toe let's -hmm. see how high i can kick my leg let's see any of those things she had a way for example of running where Fauquin said she ran and she left herself behind Mm -hmm. so it's like nature nature moves in a wave-like motion. And Isadora spoke often about the body moving in a wave-like motion, like the ocean, the waves like radio waves. And so in our dance, in the Duncan dance technique that she left us and ideas about dance, is that we, when we dance, we're like nature. We don't stop. The movement continues. And when we hit the peak, we we come back and then we go out and then we come back we never pose this dance is absolutely not about posing it's about inner reflection and expressing the beautiful music that she found and she chose to dance to
1: Hmm.
4: every piece of music that she choreographed to there may be one or two that i'm not crazy about Every other piece, and I know possibly 70 dancers, Um, the music is stunning, stunning. People don't, I'm sure when they're watching a Duncan dancer, they're not sure if they like the music more or if they like the dancer. Hmm. Because her choice of music was just beautiful, perfect. Chopin waltzes, nocturnes, etudes. She also created a suite of dances to... Gluck, who was the first uh, composer, operatic composer in the 1700s, to compose an opera uh, behind, with the myths, using uh, Greek myth as his, as his inspiration. So, and of course, Isadora often used the Greek myth in many of her dances. And, so, um,
3: and she so was, she, I'm sorry to interrupt, I was, she was a, an inspiration to many artists, fine artists of her time.
4: Yes, and I I would like to, I I just discovered the history of, of how she did, her very first visit to Russia was in 1904, and Isadora at the time was, had just become famous. Loie Fuller invited Isadora to dance in her program. At the very end of the program, she gave Isadora an opportunity to perform, and that was the impetus for Isadora to take off. After they saw Isadora, she was invited to dance in Budapest and just it was a great performance. She was carried through the streets after her performance uh, and they raved and they loved her. But when she was in Budapest, she received a telegram from from the Russian Diaghilev Ballet, please, please they begged her to go to Russia. And this was 1904. Well, I mean that was a, an amazing honor. So, of course, within a few weeks, she arrived in Russia. It was 1904, and in the and so within a day, she performed uh, for the Russian dignitaries, uh, Diaghilev from the Russian Ballet, the Diaghilev Ballet. Nijinsky was in the audience. Pavlova, um, uh, uh, Frederick Ashton, all these famous artists were in the audience. And she danced in this large room, and it was a wonderful grand piano. And the dance that changed the way uh, uh, Nijinsky danced was when he saw Isadora perform The Death and the Maiden, and it's a Chopin mazurka. Now, the reason this changed Nijinsky was because this dance, not only did Isadora come out with a Greek tunic, and the body moving in a curvier line and her head thrown back in a Dionysus way and bare feet and kind of a soft su- supple, expressive body using a small bit of mime. She performed the Death and the Maiden. and this dance contains many elements that they had never the Russians had never seen in one dance. It contained passion, courage, strength, defiance, in one dance, in three minutes. And Nijinsky was just taken aback. He just just was, wow, this is amazing. So Isadora absolutely changed the Russian ballet. And in 1907, this is documented, Nijinsky created the Fon. And no question that he was influenced by the great Isadora and then of course Focaine changed many of his ballets and and Anna Pavlova loved Isadora they became friends and Anna Pavlova did many uh, I have a book of Anna Pavlova and you can see her standing being photographed, looking like an Isadora wannabe, although she was gorgeous in the movements. but of course she still had point shoes on. And, and even the, and she would wear her little Greek headset headdress. So Isadora definitely in, influenced the great Russian ballet and that opened doors for artists. And that's, that's the important thing is that she did open the door for women in the arts. I mean, before then, uh, the, in, in America, If it wasn't the ballet, it was dance hall girls dancing around. No one ever did this classical, beautiful dance that literally, absolutely expresses human emotions, expresses universal feelings. One, if one is watching a Duncan dancer, you will almost always feel something. You will relate to her or him. So, it's it's unique in that way, because my goal is to express the music and express something to share with the audience. I have a dance called the Narcissus. Of course, Isadora didn't name her dances. Later on, they gave the Isadorables gave the dances and name. Names it's a little easier to remember one dance from another and you know when you watch the dance you can see the woman looking at herself in the mirror and oh how wonderful i am and and then you see her on the floor looking at her reflection oh there i am and there has to be a slight bit of mime isadora definitely used very carefully she used mine to express parts of the dance it wasn't corny it has to be done from the inside otherwise it will be corny so if you're not feeling what you're showing it's it's going to look silly so that's why not many dancers, Duncan dancers today are using the mind because it's a difficult thing to, to put into the dance today
3: and and let's talk about the the Duncan dancers this this legacy because she was um, you know at the as you were saying is at the early part of the 20th century not really captured so much on on film but the, she has this legacy of uh, d- of dancers and you're a, a third generation Duncan dancer uh, you mentioned the Isadorables who were the the young girls that. That Isadora ended up um, teaching and exactly. then adopting. Um, talk about the legacy uh, of the dance, and oh, then wonderful. also yeah. how, how you became how you uh, became part of that legacy.
4: Well, um, Isadora adopted. Uh, she lo- Isadora had two children, and she lost her children in an automobile accident. The car uh, re- went into the Seine River, and her two little children died many years later she opened a school she was very interested in children's education and she felt that children should be educated uh, in an an environment where there's art music and more culture not just academic education but anyway isadora to go on isadora um, she adopted six girls six Young women, and she gave them her name. And these young women lived with Isadora. They they followed Isadora, and they watched her perform for years and years. She rarely danced with them. Sometimes they would open a program for her, but mostly the girls were watching her, and they watched her. And then, when Isadora was home with the girls, she would teach them technique and how to move, and how to respond to the music. Not how to, but to listen to the music. So these girls, three of them, Irma, Anna, and Maria Teresa, eventually moved to New York City. And the three of them, each one had their own company. And they they taught Duncan dance, and they had programs, performances. My teachers danced, in the Isadorables companies. My teacher, Hortense, Julia Levine, um, uh, Sylvia Gold, Jemsy e. DeLapp, all of these women danced with Isadora's daughters in their separate companies. My favorite teacher was Hortense Coloris. She took me under her wing when she was quite elderly and invited me to stay with her in her home. and. I was friends with her, I loved her, and she taught me some wonderful, wonderful things that are treasures to me, and I use today when I dance. So I learned my Duncan dance for the most part. I left a very important person out, Mignon Garland. Mignon Garland was the only person at the time teaching Isadora Duncan dance in San Francisco, and um, so I studied with her for about a year and a half. and then I went to Maria Ruiz, who had a Duncan Isadora Duncan company also in San Francisco. and I studied with her for three years. And then I made numerous trips to New York and studied with Hortense and took workshops from other local New York Duncan dancers, Jeannie Bregianni and Lori Bellella. I took workshops with with the two women that were closer to my age. But mostly, my main technique came from Hortense, who was second generation. And so um, I could tell you how I was first introduced to Dunkin' Dance, if you'd like to know.
3: Yes, uh, yes, definitely. I I
4: was a ballet girl. I like to make a a joke of it. I I love taking ballet classes. It was my hobby, my love. I took ballet classes every day, for 23 years. It was just every penny I had went to ballet classes. Uh, I studied with Alan Howard from the Pacific Ballet and Ron Greedy. And um, I was with Ron Greedy for 20 years. So I, had a, a, I was good in ballet. I never really, I did a little bit of ballet dancing, but not much. So I opened a ballet school. With all my training, I decided to open a ballet school in Danville, a children's ballet school. And it was quite successful. And then about 23 years ago, I met the mother of my son's best friend. And she came to the house and she said, Oh, Lois, you have to take an Isadora Duncan class. And I said, Oh, no, that's maypole dance. Not I'm not going to a, a Duncan class. Forget it. If it doesn't have a grand jeté or, or a triple pirouette, I, it's not dance. So she really, really was after me. So I finally, after the third try, said, okay, I'll go. I went to my very first lesson with Mignon Garland in San Francisco on Polk Street. And that was the turning point of my life. I could not believe it. I was absolutely taken aback. This was it. I loved it. I loved the music. I loved everything about it. And so I continued my ballet classes, but then I became a devotee of Isadora Duncan. And so that, that was the beginning. But it really took an effort by this woman to really pull me by the scruff of the neck to this class. And so I'm, I'm really grateful to her that, that she did that. So, so and then... Then I began my research and study, and to be honest with you, it took probably, possibly eight or nine years before I really felt I was doing Isadora's dance, because I had so much ballet technique that it took years to to let go of it. Mm. I thought I was the queen of the class, because I could jump and leap and do everything, but I was missing the entire system of the idea and the, and the beautiful dance that she left us, I was not moving from the solar plexus. Um, I was focusing on technique. And it really took many, many years uh, to let go of that. So that, you know, it was an eye-opener when I finally <clears throat> was able to understand what I was doing it was a big breakthrough.
3: Well, it seems like uh, Isadora. It makes sense um, that uh, that it would come that way. It sounds like Isadora was was uh, a breakthrough uh, person herself. And um, tell us about some of the performances that, that you've done over the years.
4: Okay, I uh, thank you for asking. Um, so, I um, my goal and mission in life, is to introduce Isadora's dance and philosophy and life to as many people as I can. When I present Isadora, when I do a program, I, I focus on Isadora. I talk about Isadora briefly. I show the historical dances, and they're wonderful because most of them are under four minutes, And I and I always say, well, you know... If you don't like one dance, it'll be over in four minutes or less, and there'll be another one. So my program consists of a, an introductory talk. It's short, brief, um, and I uh, present the idea of the solar plexus and, and the Greek ideals. And then I show a body of her work, lyrical dances. And then I bring a, a narrator, I invite a narrator to narrate quotes by Isadora and famous people who saw Isadora? And the narrator will read for four or five minutes, and then I will come back and show some of Isadora's uh, dramatic dances, two or three. And again, they're mostly under four minutes. And then the narrator will come out and read some quotes by Isidora, and I will read a few of them to you this afternoon. Um, and then I come back and... For example, my last program at Occidental Center for the Arts, I performed the March Slav. And that's that happens to be an 11-minute dance. It's one of Isadora's major works. And it's a dance that Isadora created that really changed Isadora's way of dancing. When she went to Russia the day after Bloody Sunday and she disembarked from the train and It was a couple days after Bloody Sunday. She saw the serfs carrying their dead and wounded, and she was just horrified. And she created a dance to Tchaikovsky's March Slav. The music is stunning; it's magnificent. And the dance is about breaking loose and breaking away, and uh, they're unrelenting. They they are the dancer comes out and she's her arms are tied in red ropes and she's bent over and she's carrying a weight on her back and then as the dance progresses she the she pushes the the, the weight away she breaks loose from the ropes and she does these and of course this happens in in 11 minutes and she, she's free, and she runs out, and she gives this giant scream with her body and arms and head thrown back, I'm free. And then she calls people to follow her. Follow me, Isadora said, I never dance a solo. I dance the chorus. So you see gestures like calling and pointing, and Dionysus moves where her head is thrown back in freedom, and her solar plexus is lifted. And this sense of freedom you get, and the music is just so beautiful and so powerful that everyone in the audience is involved with me. And it's for me, it's freedom of not the Russian Revolution, because I'm living in 2017, but for me, it's freedom of woman, of freedom of breaking loose of the bounds that have restrained us, the constraints that have held us back. I I like to often say that Isadora was a living symbol of revolt, of women's emancipation. Um, So that's what's in my mind when I'm doing this dance. Um, So, and I feel like it's still relevant today because, because of a lot of things mostly because of what's going on politically. Um, And also women, you know, aren't being paid well or as well as men. And there's lots of stuff going on uh, in our society that are not, women are not equal. There's still problems. So this, this dance is, this particular dance, the March Slav, is a dance about freedom. And then I, I inv- at the end of the program, I invite the audience, if they like to stand up, if they would like to experience some Duncan gestures. And believe it or not, everyone stands up, including the men. And they stand up, and I, I have them reach up to the heavens and move their arms like branches in the wind and move their arms like waves put their hands cross their hands on their solar plexus and lift their solar plexus and extend their arms up to the heavens and then they reach down to the earth they can pick up a little piece of earth and bring it to their heart and share it with everyone now I know this may sound corny Um, it does sound corny but when you're in the middle of it everyone does it everyone seems to have fun doing it and they're involved it's something different it's a way of expressing something inside of us—some love, some pain, some sorrow, some joy. It's it, Isadora said, "The smallest gesture can change the world." Hmm. Imagine that—if you just take your hand and you go, you put it on your heart, and you just lift it up and extend it to your neighbor to the side. You see how that feels. It does change you it does and you must experience to it to to really know what I'm talking about I'd like to read a quote by Isadora she says she was a wonderful writer she wrote a book she wrote a group of lectures that I are just gorgeous the dancer of the future will be one whose body and soul has grown harmoniously together that the nature of the language of the soul will have become the movement of the body. Imagine saying that in 1904. I mean, that's... Are you kidding? No one ever spoke like that.
3: Really, Carl Sandburg
4: wrote a poem to Isadora. The wind. I am the wind, the sea and the moon. I am the sea and the moon, tears, pain, love, birds' flight. I am all of that. I am what I dance. Um, so that That's beautiful. definitely expresses um, one more quote. I am seeking that dance. W- wait a minute, this is the one I'd rather read. I have discovered the dance. I have discovered the art which has been lost for thousands of years. So I I always open the program by saying I am your designated Isadora Duncan dancer. I am not trying to be Isadora. I am just showing you a glimpse of her choreography and the beautiful art that she left us. Her dance is all about expressing beauty and truth. And I'm a peace activist. I've, I've done peace work all my life. And I feel when you express beauty and truth, it will change the world. So,
3: I I agree, um, and uh, all of those sentiments that that Isadora was speaking to and that you're passing along, um, really, I think re- res- They definitely resonate um, because like you said, even those small gestures, whether it's just something that you do with your body, um, right. whether you're, you're releasing some sort of, uh, mental, uh, block by, by releasing, um, stress in your body and, right. you know, changing the world, you know, some t- like you said, kind of people, you know, people get this kind of, Insurmountable concept of what it means to change the world, but really, what it means is having the the uh, the calmness and, and the human spirit within yourself. Oh,
4: that's beautiful. Yes, yes. And and I I think that's beautifully said. Thank you, Valerie. I would like just to say, I spoke to a friend of mine. He's a dance historian in Canada and a and an Isadora Duncan dancer. Uh, his name is uh, P.J. Dwyer, Paul Dwyer. And he's a good friend of mine and he's been very helpful to me. Um, when I need some research done, he helps me out. And, and um, anyway, we were talking about why is this dance relevant today? And, and we both agree that um, the dance today is I, I believe it's, it's at the end of a cycle of obsession with technique. And, uh, believe me, I have nothing against the dance that's going on today. I mean, it is beautiful. The technique is off the charts. Uh, it's, it's almost hard to watch because the movements are glorious. And there's, there's one glorious movement after another glorious movement after another. But it, it, it does sometimes lack that human emotion that story, that feeling, that letting go. And so we both feel that it's, there's, there's so much technique today in dance that when people think of dancers, they think of athletes. Now, yes, you do have to be in good shape to do I have to be in very good shape to do these programs. But believe me, this dance should not be based on athleticism. You must have strong feet, strong back, strong legs and strong arms, but our dance is not, if if you're watching a Duncan dancer and the technique stands out, believe me, Isadora would say, not a Duncan dancer. Mm
1: -hmm. If
4: you see the technique, if you see the leg in high attitude, like a ballet dancer, it's far removed from what Isadora left us and I believe what she imparted and wanted us to do. And how do we know this? I I really think this is an important thing to share. We have almost every great artist of her time either drew her, painted her, or sculpted her. Rodin sculpted her. And I, I have a quote by Rodin in a moment. He said Isadora was his greatest influence, that she was a genius. This is documented. So if you see a Duncan dancer and you you notice too much technique, it's something to be questioned. Now, some people say that the Duncan dance is moving along, and there are modern Duncan dancers, and that's that could be that could be true. Uh, for me, I like to keep the Duncan dance in its more natural state. Oh, I started to say, Isadora was. She, every great artist of her time either drew her, painted her, or sculpted her. I think I did say that. And so that's how we know how she moved, what she looked like, what her movements were like. And, and you know, if you look at these drawings, I, I personally have hundreds of them in my collection. I've copied them. I've, I've got books. I've got so much material. And when you look at the drawings of Isadora, they're all very much the same. I mean, you know it's a different artist, but the gestures and movements are so similar that she we know how she moved. She didn't put her leg in high attitude. She wasn't about kicking her leg over her head. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about that. You see the intensity of the emotion in the movement. It's the intensity of the emotion, not the movement. And so I, I really feel that's an important statement, because is, Duncan dance may be going in a different direction, and there's not much anybody can do about that. So it is it is what it is.
3: And you are going to be performing some of these exquisite dances, the Dances of Isadora Duncan Lives, I believe is the name of the program, at the Corette Auditorium, which is at the main library here in San Francisco on April Thirtieth, I believe, that right? Sunday, Sunday, April thirtieth, from two to four p.m. Uh, and it's a it's a free program.
4: Yes, it's a free program, and and I just like to tell everyone the Corette Theater is a beautiful little theater right in the San Francisco Main Library, right across the street from BART, and so it's easy to access. Um, the meters on Sunday, there are meters. So one could drive in, but there's a parking lot right across the street at Civic Center. Yes. And the program is called The Dances. As you said, Isadora Duncan lives a revolution through dance. And it is still a revolution. It is still uh, relevant today because Isadora left us a beautiful art. Um, she, and also I'd like to, I think I mentioned this earlier, Isadora was a wonderful writer, and many of her ideas have been documented and written. She's, she wrote a book, My Life, and she wrote this, uh, these lectures. And, um, and then, you know, all these people that followed her, Martha Graham and José Limón and, and uh, Ruth St. Denis, and they were all inspired, these great artists were all inspired by Isadora. Well, and Valerie, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, talk about our great California native daughter.
3: <laughs> it has been an absolutely delightful um, afternoon speaking with you uh, again everyone listening to uh, women's magazine here on mutiny FM, and the, my guest today has been lois flood who did fa- is the founder of the D- and director of the diablo dance theater and has been dancing the dances of isadora duncan for over 25 years lois i I hope we can continue this conversation another time, but I really want to, um, so we can even talk more about this revolutionary uh, iconoclast that was Isadora Duncan. Um, but I thank you so much for your time today. And um, I really Uh, encourage people to go out to um, see Lois dancing at the Corette Auditorium here in San Francisco at the Main Library on Sunday, April 30th from 2 to 4 p.m. It is a free show and it is, as mentioned, uh, a very lovely theater, the Corette Auditorium. Um, So Lois Flood, it's been a pleasure.
4: Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you so much.
3: Have I missed anything? Is there any other information we should be giving to the to the folks out there? No,
4: no. I I, I think you you said it beautifully, and it's greatly appreciated. Um, I I think it is absolutely um, important that that we as local Northern California people, especially Northern California, know about this great woman and bring her forward. And she's a wonderful inspiration for young young girls and young women because her dance lets the woman be sensuous and not overly sexual and that's that's something that is new (laughs) used to be old but now it's new again (laughs) (laughs) thank you valerie thank you so much
3: Uh, it's been a pleasure thank you so much lois flood wow this has been such a an amazing installment of uh, for Women's History History Month National Women's History Month here in the United States Uh, such a pleasure and a privilege to be here at Mutiny Radio to to share this kind of history with you that doesn't often get taught or or talked about but now we're talking about it and we're teaching and we're spreading the word here on Women's Magazine here at Mutiny Radio and um, again uh, thank you for listening to the show today and I encourage you to tune in and uh, go to mutiny radio FM and you can listen to some of the other podcasts um, from well, all all these months but um, especially March because um, I w- I'm, was so happy to have a guest every Friday uh, this this year this March to celebrate women um, and uh, it's just been a real honor and I, I was thinking today how it would be rather um punchy if uh, Time Magazine named Man of the Year the Woman. Uh, I think it's uh, the year of the woman. It's the year of the town hall. It's the year of so much change, and um, we can definitely elevate uh, our playing here and, uh, and the playing field, so to speak. So thank you again for listening to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val, and remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like daring to give freedom to movement... Just remember, inspiration is contagious. Peace and thank you and thank you again to my gracious guest today, Lois Flood, who will be performing the Dances of Isadora Duncan Sunday, April 30th, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Coret Auditorium, San Francisco Main Library, right across the street from public transportation. Please go enjoy the show and uh, enjoy life. Lots of love, everyone.